2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, um, quick, quick bit of background. You know this stuff as well as I, I suspect. But um, the Paul was having a problem with the Corinthians, yeah? Um, There's a bunch of super apostles arrived, and uh, Paul was losing his connection with them. They were going a bit cool on him. He wasn't, um, he wasn't up to scratch for them, and they were starting to kind of, kind of go a little bit dry, and they were running with the super apostles and leaving Paul behind. That's a little bit of background here. And what's I find, you know when you get those verses that just kind of, when you actually stop and you go, oh, hang on, what's it doing there? This is one of those. Look at chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. Stop there. Now, what's I find, well, years ago, I remember looking at this going, why did he say that? Why did he say, we don't want you to be ignorant of how tough we were doing it? Why does he say that? And you kind of go, well, he's just sharing what's happening in his life and that's how, what's the problem there? Well, no, no, no. He's saying this to a group of people who already think he's unimpressive and are growing cold on him because he's unimpressive. His letters are weighty, but in person he's got nothing. In fact, from history, you know that you know, he's a short Jewish guy with bandy legs and a big nose and his eyebrows met in the middle. He just had one monobrow. And he was kind of unimpressive in all kinds of ways. And, and here's a group of people who are getting more and more excited about the super apostles who had letters of recommendations, do you remember? Uh, and and um, were great speakers, came with signs and wonders, power, uh, enthusiasm, excitement, glitz. They had a gold tooth with a two-breasted suit, all that kind of stuff. And drove fancy cars and, and these are the impressive people and Paul's the only and they're growing Colin Paul and Paul says well actually right up front in the letter where I'm going to defend my ministry with you I don't want you to be ignorant of how much I've struggled do you see the oddity I'm worried that you're losing interest in me because I'm unimpressive well I'm going to tell you how really unimpressive I am now I think that's odd and why why does Paul do it because the nature of Paul's ministry and understanding him in his struggle is the very essence of the gospel. And to lose that is to lose Jesus, which is what's happening with these people. So, so there was a problem, of course. This, this is the fourth letter that Paul's written to the Corinthians. So second, first Corinthians is really second Corinthians and two Corinthians is really fourth Corinthians. And... Um, the problem's there in the first letter. Come and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll have a quick run through. I'll get to the punchline in just a second. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as people of flesh, infants in Christ. You've got a bunch of people who have all the spiritual gifts, have all the kind of things, but they're actually positive. You've you got all the out externals, but really you're just babes. You're, you're infants. You're not spiritual at all. Why? Well, there's a whole bunch of things going on. You can see it in chapter 3, but one of the little things in, that's particularly relevant to what I want to draw your attention to is chapter 4, verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. 
And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle of the world. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise. We're weak, but you're strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. And then he expresses again the struggle. What's going on there? The problem in Corinth, which comes to full flower in 2 Corinthians such that the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, Paul can say to them, you better examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he calls them to saints and he rejoices in them. By the end of 2 Corinthians, he's saying, look, I'm not even sure you're there still. Why? Because of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, they're following another Jesus. I've been jealous with you for a godly jealousy, but I've, although I've betrothed you to one, you're following another. Another Jesus, another spirit, which they've received. What's happened? Well, what is the problem in Corinth? It, it, it's, it's, is it that they've lost the gospel of grace alone? There's very little evidence that they've gone the Galatian heresy of legalism. Very little evidence. Um, is it that they've given up on scripture alone, faith alone? You know, the big kind of, for the glory of God. Have they given up on those big ones? What it is, uh, I take it, as many others, of course, do, and I've borrowed from their learning, is that it, the problem is triumphalism. The problem is triumphalism. What is triumphalism? It is imagining not just that all that might be ours in heaven is ours today. It's not just an over-realised eschatology, which is the name for that. It's something more insidious and more powerful and more deep and profound. It's, it's triumphalism. It's a focus on status, on success, on self-power, self-strength and self-significance. It's triumphalism. And it was there way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You have become rich, you become kings, wear a spectacle but you're wise... They are actually trumpeting themselves about what they have and the power that they have. They're focused on themselves and their success. And Paul says, come now with him to 2 Corinthians 1 again. Paul comes to them and says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know about my weaknesses. Why? Well, you look at the end of verse 9 there. This was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. And of course, at the end of the letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he delights to speak in his weaknesses because when he's weak, then he's strong. Because in his weakness, his glory is in God, in Jesus. He's 2 Corinthians chapter, he's a vessel of clay. We don't speak of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as servants for your sake. He's lost in himself that they might see God in his glory. So he doesn't want them to be uninformed about his weaknesses because in his weaknesses they look past him to the greatness of the Saviour. Yes? Now why does this matter and why does it lead them to another Jesus? Because Jesus himself draws this connection in Mark 8 between himself and the way you follow he says, if anyone would be my disciples, you must come after me, take up your cross and follow me. Because who I am, says Jesus, is what you must be. 
there's this intimate connection between the way Jesus went and the way we must go if we are to be Jesus' people. But this connection's so tight that the way we go will spin back on the way we understand Jesus. And what I mean by that is, when you do ministry as your success, your significance, your power, um, your status, the gospel you end up teaching is of a Jesus who is about triumph and success and power. Inevitably. Inevitably. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, incidentally. He says, um, stop judging by worldly standards. We used to judge Jesus that way. Do you remember the Jews expected Jesus to come on a white charger horse as the triumphal king? And instead he comes on a, cha- on a, on a donkey, a coal, a foal of a donkey with his legs dragging on the ground as he went up into Jerusalem. He comes weak and meek and he becomes crucified. And Paul's saying... We used to judge by externals. We used to judge by the triumph of Psalm 2, thinking he was going to be this triumphalistic king. And that's why we rejected him. Because we didn't get the power of God, which is seen in weakness, in humble, sacrificial service and weakness, in trusting in God, not ourselves. Paul didn't get it. And so he rejected Jesus until he was brought to this incredible, miraculous faith of seeing it's not about us, it's about God and his greatness. And Paul is seeing in the Corinthians their pursuit of the super apostles in the way they did ministry as spinning off in the way they're now thinking about Jesus. Because the two are intimately connected. And they're now following the triumphalistic Jesus like the Jews did. And rejecting the apostle of the weak Jesus, the apostle of the suffering Jesus, because he suffered. Do you see what they've done? Now, how does all this spin off to us? When we do ministry, ultimately it's not about pragmatics. Ultimately it's about understanding the cross. And our work, the more we get the cross, will be shaped by cross-shaped ministry. And by our ministry, if it's done in the shape of the cross, we'll actually teach people the cross and where greatness is found. So that we minister in humility without pursuit of status and significance and success and power, that we minister like that will direct people to the suffering servant, which will cause them to see past us and our weakness into faith in the great King God. Do you see what I'm saying? Which is another way of talking about dying to self. So John chapter 12, where Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just one seed. But if it dies, it produces a crop. Jesus is teaching the principle of Christian ministry there. That the way God's kingdom works is through the king dying to bring life, losing himself to bring life to others. And the way every minister of the king of this kingdom bring success is by dying to self, by losing my status, losing my significance, losing who I am, that others might find life. And in Geneva, we want to call you to that kind of ministry. And I tell you, we're in danger of not doing that kind of ministry. We're very much in danger of that. Really, this is a challenge to our pride. 
pride in ministry is not just inappropriate, it destroys the gospel you preach because it leads to a different Jesus. Do you see? And pride in ministry shows up in all kinds of ways. You know it's wrong, but it's in the unguarded moments that who you are comes out. And it's in those unguarded moments that you will subtly teach a different gospel, a different Jesus. And you will pollute and corrupt your ministries for the long haul. It's, it's, you can speak all the right words, but in those unguarded moments, your reaction to a person who lets you down shows whether you're actually doing the ministry for what you're getting in your status and significance. It's that moment that's powerful and significant. You see, it, it's the occasions when you, um, the way you use your humour, whether you use it to build you up and get a place in people, or whether you give it, you know, Al is a great model of not doing that. We've got people around us that praise God, um, keep pointing away, keep pointing away. <coughs> Very important. Um, the way you assess people in your ministries and what they're doing and how they're doing it will, will be indicative of whether you're living with the false Jesus gospel of status, success, power. Because it'll show in your impatience and condemnation of others who are actually letting you down when it's not about you, do you see? Because you're to die. Leadership's about being uh, Christian leadership's about being a um, transformer. I might have said this to some people before, but the you know the kind of um, ACDC uh, transformer, where you know all kinds of rubbish comes into the Christian ministries, and your job as a leader is to absorb all of that and send it out smooth. That's one of the deaths that you need to die. You got to die. You got to suck it up and give into that. Because that's what Christ is like, and that's what our ministries need to be like. Um, I'll give you a bunch of things to die to, but I just want to, let me just, this is, it's, it's the very thing Luther fought against in the Reformation, the theology of glory that was in the medieval Catholic Church. But it's coming back in. <laughs> and the internet's a great danger to us. The internet's a danger because it's a vehicle to build hype, as well as communicate. And there's a line between simple communication and the presentation of the humble facts and using it to build hype and status and success on the basis of hype and success, do you see? Ah, oh, this is very grave dangers. And, and this is the young man's problem as well as the old man's problem. Because um, the Corinthians, it was their immaturity and their judging thing from the surface that meant they kept getting trapped in this. And so the point here is that our natural gravity will be to the kind of status-significant style of doing ministry. And we've got to work hard against it. Great book by, by Don Carson, The um, Cross in Christian Ministry. Is the exposition of 1 Corinthians 1 to 4? Just looking around for someone to nod. Yeah, go and get the book. It's an excellent book. Uh, the Cross in Christian Ministry. Um, be wary of hype and your own promotion, your self-promotion. Um, be wary of significance in your community. Uh, I had a friend say to me once, do ne never stoop from becoming a preacher to become a king. That's a good line, isn't it? Don't stoop from being a preacher to become a king. As a preacher of the living word of God, in a humble context, you are far more impactful for the kingdom than ruling the country.
Don't ever stoop. See who you are in Christ by his merits and in your humility, weak vessels that we are, keep pointing to Christ, keep preaching Christ and die to self. Let me give you a couple of deaths and uh, I'll try and finish up. I don't know how long I've gone for yet. But uh, let me give you a few deaths. Um, I think Christian ministry, you've got to die to a whole bunch of stuff. You've got to die to comfort and ease. If you love comfort and ease, you've got to learn to see that will be ours in heaven and die to it now. Die to it now. Christian ministry doesn't um, flourish in the context where ministers keep chasing after their own comforts. It doesn't flourish because you're teaching a different gospel. You've got to die to weekends away. All your congregations will enjoy weekends away and they'll be gone. Uh, preachers of the gospel, leaders of communities of Christian people that believe the gathering is at the heart of what God's about, you've got to die to weekends away. So learn to get over it. You can sometimes pick up some midweek days, uh, but our experience has been that's not been much, um, especially with young children and all the rest. But friends, there's one thing, there's a death. Uh, die to fair pay. Die to fair pay. It's the grave danger in ministry that you look at... We, we had, we're looking... We employed an accountant in our church because the finances just got massively complex and stuff. And um, someone said in some meeting, oh, man, you won't, get a, you won't get a decent accountant to come and get a job in a place like, you know... In a, in a, well, you won't get a decent accountant to get a, do a work of this kind for less than 120 grand. Well, you'll get a decent senior minister for a lot less than that. Is that what you're saying? So we can't get a decent accountant, but we'll be able to get a decent senior minister for a lot less. Do, do, do you see? Now, once you start going down that path, it's death. It'll kill you. you you've got to keep dying to what's fair. Um, now, having said that, most of our ministry pay structures are good. They are good. But in church planting, you'll live for many years, especially in the early years, with a lot less than you're worth. That's all right. Praise God. Uh, press forward. Press forward. Uh, die to um, justice. Die to justice in ministry. There'll be lots of stuff that comes your way that's unfair. You'll be thought of in ways that are unfair. People will say stuff that's unfair. Uh, and some of it will be very public. Some of you may end up in the media talked about in ways that are just totally wrong. You've got to die to justice. You've got to die to the need to see yourself vindicated um, and, and press on. I remember I learned that lesson from some of the godly older men around the place, Jim and others, in the early years when we were plastered. I was called the sinister minister of the Central Coast. Uh, pictures plastered on the front page and all this kind of stuff. And uh, some godly men, Jim and others, uh, say, yeah, that's Jesus put up with that too. Counted a blessing. Move on. Uh, uh, die to indulging your interests and hobbies. Die to indulging your interests and hobbies. Have some. I think it's helpful and important to have some, but die to indulging them. We can never enjoy them quite like we want and don't keep hankering and hungering for them as much as others might be able to pursue and don't resent them for doing it. Um, die to all of that. You know, um, uh, there's a pastor near us who, who 
four years ago, went on a six-month, 12-month sabbatical around the country. And four or five years later, he was going on a six-month tour of Europe with his family. Well, I'd love to do that. And every 10 years, we get a break like that. But we can't do it like many others in our community. And if, as a pastor, you do it, your church will never grow because they won't see what cross-shaped ministry looks like. And do you expect, as a leader, to be anything but the one leading the charge? Do you know what I mean? If you're not the one who's doing it more than others are, why did you go into Christian leadership? Do you know what I mean? Die to the expectations that it will work out properly. Die to fame and profile. Die to fame and profile. Um, it matters. It's of no account. Don't pursue it. Don't resent it when others in your churches step up beyond you. In fact, your ministry ought to be, be less that others are more. Be less that others are more. Yeah, keep pursuing it. Um, yeah. Can I, I finish with one bad illustration then encourage you from the words of God again. Um, we, we just recently had a church near us, their building burnt down. And I saw the Corinthian super apostle alive and well. Uh, the minister preached a sermon after that event, the day after. A very fine presentation. It was a great piece of communication and um, a very positive and so on. But he said many things that made my skin crawl. And one of them was this. He said, um, he said, Satan has taken on the wrong couple. And then he used his wife, his name. Satan's taken on us and he's taken on the wrong couple. <laughs> I thought, what? <laughs> it, it, it's, you're the ones that are going to win this battle? And you're the ones that are so strong that will defeat Satan in all of this, however you read it? It was a, it was a massively distorted understanding of Paul and his ministry and Jesus and his ministry who looked beyond themselves to the strength of the Father. It's not us who are the ones who will win the battle. We are weak, broken vessels. Um, extraordinary things. And the problem isn't prosperity gospel at that point. It's triumphalism, which gives birth to the prosperity gospel. Do you see? Much more insidious and profound and, and deeply concerning. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. That's the principle of Christian leadership. And it's one to enjoy. It's one to enjoy. To not resent it. Because we're like our Lord. And it's where life is found. Because we're living not for this age, but for the one to come. Rejoice and press on.